Welcome to the Indie Comics section. Join us as we take you through the pages of some of the best stories and art available in comics. We'll talk to creators, hear about their inspiration and creative process, and then we'll read their comic and discuss it together. We hope you'll join us on this journey into some incredible comics and find some new favorites along the way. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Indie Comics. This is Maddie. And this is Jeff. And this is Tyler. And we have some amazing guests today. If you'd like to introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm Amanda Donahue. I'm the illustrator on The Margins. And I'm Dave Acampo. I'm uh, uh, the, one of the co-writers and also the letterer and designer on The Margins. Which is a super, super, super amazing comic, you guys. Usually we do the interviews before reading the comic, and you guys are special. <laughs> we read it already. Yeah. Which means exactly. we're extra excited to talk to you because it is somebody is going out of town is so much cooler than incredible. us. Incredible. Yeah, I might yeah. be visiting Europe for a little bit, so we're filming this a little earlier than normal. <laughs> Exciting. Um, uh-huh. But yeah. yeah, yeah we well, I'm it. glad we you guys it. read it first because, yeah. you know, now you can ask the, but now you have to be careful of spoilers. Exactly. So. Well, and that's one of the right. reasons, so we don't have to <laughs> get into that. But, you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's so incredible, and we were so thrilled to read it. Another, uh, we read uh, Kinsei recently, too, and yeah. just like knocking it out of the park. Fan base is um, awesome. Fan base, yeah. man. Um, but yeah, I mean, to begin, though, for you guys, just your own personal backgrounds, how did you each get into comics? Uh, David, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. <laughs> because because it ends with me dragging Amanda, kicking and screaming exactly. into comics. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, that's the end of the story. Um, no, that's I, all that uh, needs to be said. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, I've been a, a lifelong comics reader. I mean, that's kind of the first stuff I remember picking up at the, the newsstand, you know, um, on the spinner racks and drugstores yes. and everything like that, and then converting over to the comic shop when I was uh, old enough to, you know, or I guess my mom probably drove me to the comic shop in the next town over when when that became a thing. Um, and uh, um, and I always wanted to write comics, but it's a really hard industry to get into. There's yeah. as many break in stories as there are those who have broken in. So, um, you know, I ended up studying creative writing then moving to L.A., thinking I'd write a novel, then getting involved in film, doing some short films, getting sick of that, deciding to do an audio drama. And then the audio drama, which was called uh, Wormwood, a serialized mystery, hmm. um, which plays a role later in the story, too, <laughs> uh, uh, became like a, a gateway into doing comics because uh, like an il- another illustrator, a guy named Jared Souza, was listening to it and thought, you know, this this show, I listened to it while I draw and I thought it would be really it would make a great comic. Um, would you be interested in, in, you know, teaming up to do something? And so Jeremy Rogers, my co-writer and I, um, were really interested in that. I had loved comics for a long time and had even submitted things here and there and just never gotten any, gotten anywhere in the industry really, but was going to conventions all the time and, you know, uh, have a massive comic book collection of my own. And so like, I, you know, part of the reason of doing an audio drama was I had been doing short films with little, um, you know, which are like, you know, 15 to 20 minute talking head pieces. And I really missed sort of the long form storytelling. And I thought, you know what, if we just do an audio drama, get rid of the picture, uh, we can do that. And we can create like a big epic soap opera, um, which to me was reminiscent of, you know, a lot of my touchstones of my youth, which included, you know, everything from, you know, the uncanny X-Men to Twin Peaks and Mm. things like that. (laughs) So, so that all went into, you know, me wanting to do this audio drama. And then when the chance came to turn that back into a comic book, uh, I jumped at the chance. And so we published the first few issues of Sparrow and Crow from Hermes Press back in 2012. And then um, from there, I just I, I kept doing comics. I kept finding ways. I, I, I grabbed Chris Anderson, my co-creator on my next book, Lost Angels. And uh, we teamed up with a publisher called Comiker to do like an online first and then a, a Kickstarter to release a print copy of that book. Um, and then uh, and then from there, I got, uh, you know, I started I had been wanting to work with Barbara and Bryant of Fanbase Press for a long time. And so, so years ago, I actually pitched to them several ideas and the margins was one of them. And so, uh, uh, you know, Paul and I, Paul Montgomery, my co-writer and I, uh, uh, we took that and we developed into a full treatment. And then we started looking for an artist. And that's where Amanda's part of the story comes in. Yay, Amanda. Perfect segue, <laughs> by the way. That's me. <laughs> We've been practicing this. Yeah. <laughs> Seamless. Yeah. What, uh, um, yeah, Amanda, how, like, what was it like for you when, when he came knocking? <laughs> so uh, it was the margins that was the uh, starting point for our relationship. I had 
you know, just much like he talked about the um, the other artist who had been inspired by listening to Wormwood, I had kind of the same story. I listened to what I was working on, uh, some freelance animation, and like that job, it really wasn't doing it for me. It was kind of lackluster, and I was kind of feeling like uninspired to do art. Um, and then I started doing some character designs from Wormwood, and it just, it was really, um, it really recharged me. And so I wanted to share that with David and Jeremy, and I went and found the form on the old website, and I posted, and I just had a little write-up saying, hey, I uh, really want to let you know that I enjoy this show. I did these doodles, um, and then I disappeared into the night. <laughs> and then I got a reply back. I was not expecting this, like I think a week later, and it was David asking me if I wanted to work on a graphic novel with him. I had never worked on any kind of comic before, nothing long form. Um, my background is in animation, but I I've always really enjoyed comics and doing a graphic novel, doing a comic was something that's kind of been something I've wanted to try. And so I went with it and the whole experience <laughs> has been new, exciting, uh, exhausting, but <laughs> totally worthwhile. Well, that's what, amazing. what's your uh, favorite and least favorite thing about doing like a comic book art and then uh, going from animation and going to comic book art because they're completely two different where animation is more about movement and, uh, mm -hmm. and comics more about just like, making sure you're telling a story in each in every single panel. I try to find uh, going between the two similarities helped me make the transition. Uh, I, I always kind of liken it to the storyboard phase of animation where you yeah. have the animation kind of broken down so that you can tell you're telling the story first, figure out it all works and it flows. Yeah. Um, I think what happens when I then try to do bring that into comics, I was making too many panels sometimes uh, for for a page, like uh, when you're doing storyboarding, you want to have kind of as many as you uh, need to to get the animation yep, across. Exactly. Uh, but then this time you got to like you got to shrink it down, you got to summarize it, and I had to learn how to make key moments in each panel. What could what pose, what composition is going to tell the story the strongest? I've only got three panels to a page or something like that. So that was really challenging. Um, I know we we have like some bumps uh, at the start when I think I added in a page or two and I had to learn about pa uh, page turns. David and Paul mm -hmm. uh, explained that to me, the importance of that. But I think we got it figured out eventually. I would say yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it got a lot smoother as it went along. Yeah, there mm -hmm. were little bits where I think that, you know, uh, there Amanda kind of learned, but she, but that's the thing is that she, this was a long project, and so she was able to learn as she went along, and we were able to kind of, uh, and she really took to it like a natural. So, I mean, <laughs> I say that, but it's not like it was it was us like uh, slapping her with a ruler. It was more like, <laughs> oh, you know, I, I might need a little more room for a word balloon here. Here, you know, and yeah. then like then then she would really start putting them in, and we kind of figured it out very quickly from that. On, and and it changed the way Paul and I scripted too. Once we realized mm. what Amanda could do, um, and, and I also think she's underselling her initial doodles because they weren't just doodles; they were comic strips that had yeah. beats to them and punchlines in them Ooh. that she wrote. And so I'm like, I know she can do storytelling, and and not only that, but the expressiveness of the characters. Um, um, was was so dynamic that I was like, this would be great as a comic. I could see it, but you know, and I think yeah, there's just those little things that the comic book page and a longer form comic do a bit differently, you know. And like mm -hmm. she said, the page turns is such a key thing. And you guys know as comics fans, you know that like that's where you create the suspense. That's where you can create the surprise on well, turning that page. But it always has to be the left to left to the right spread, right? right. And so if, if if an artist comes in and says, well, I, I had to add one more page here, you're like, no, you have to. Pages, <laughs> right? So we we kind of we learned that, and we we it actually became very great, and I think the story's better for it because it allowed us to stretch some things a little bit and go, oh, you know yeah. what? What if we put this giant double page spread in? Where mm -hmm. we're going to, and now we get more bang out of this, and uh, I think it worked out very well. Well, and I can mm -hmm. say as a reader, like successful, it did work out very well. Like I mean, this is one yes, of those comics that you, when you look at it and you think, like when I think about it, there are certain splash pages that just like are crisp in my mind because they were so amazing and so iconic and like mm -hmm. gorgeous and surprising and shocking. And I just think it was, it was so beautifully done. Huh. And I think your animation background really comes in in that way because it felt very, Thank you. yeah, your style is so strong and it's a, it's really different than I think a lot of other comics. And, mm. um, it was amazing. We all really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Now behind all of this, we've seen a lot of the stuff that got you in conks we've seen your style and how you guys developed this but what i want to know is what was the inspiration behind this particular work right here 
That's what uh, I want to Tell us about. more, David. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big question. Um, yeah, I guess, um, you know, for maybe anybody listening that hasn't picked it up yet or, or is interested in it, um, uh, you know, the, the story, the overall story is about um, an artist named Charlie and her girlfriend. Uh, they both recently moved to um, Portland, Oregon. Uh, and uh, in, in doing Which so, uh, they each have kind of different better. reactions to it. <laughs> Uh, Charlie and Charlie is a little bit more of a shut in. And so she ends up teaming up with a guy named Gordy, who's going to, who's taking an old manuscript and turning it into a, um, uh, turning it into like a comic book, an old pulp mm-hmm. manuscript. Yep. And it, it, as that happens, you know, they get so invested in the creativity of this story, uh, the world of this story that, that it starts to come to life a little bit for them. And so, uh, the, the, the idea spawned with Paul and I, um, we both love stories and storytelling. Um, we even did a podcast or well, he he let me onto his podcast eventually. He has a podcast called Fuzzy Typewriter that was around for a few years. Yeah. Um, and uh, Paul was also a host on iFanboy. And so uh, uh, you know, he taught we would talk a lot about stories and storytelling. And I think I approached him with the German of an idea, which was, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by when stories become bigger than us, like when we mm-hmm. don't even know. I think a lot of writers know this. You know, when people ask that question of where do you where do your ideas come from, there's this, you know, kind of pause of like, well, I just think stuff up or, or whatever. But sometimes it feels like you're not really creating it, like you're tapping into it. And, and I had this idea of, you know, what if a story was like a virus is spreading, um, you know, from person to person. And we just batted that around until we came up with a pitch. And um, that was a thing that Barbara and Bryant at Fanbase Press really um, gravitated toward. They, they, there was a way that in which we sold the story that they just really liked and felt like there was a lot of potential there. And they actually offered some really insightful suggestions early on that helped Paul and I in the treatment writing process. And then, you know, again, as as Amanda came into it, um, you know, that kind of shaped the the look and feel of the world. You know, she helped us build the world out. But that was the initial grain was I wanted to explore something about creativity and what it means and how it can how we can isolate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like the writer has to sit down and write alone, but we also can connect you know, like bringing Amanda in and, and drawing it, uh, you know, changes the shape of it. It makes it bigger than just my story or Paul's story. And so it, there's this kind of meta level going on in there as we as we got into this. And it was something that's just very important to to both Paul and I. And also, you know, I mentioned Portland and that is where I had just moved as we started mm-hmm. scripting it. And so that became a real thrust of the story, which is how do you make a place your home? And it was something I was very curious about as we were scripting this. You know, this is a couple that has come uh, to come together in Portland, made it their home. And they're, you know, they're in their early twenties and they're, they're sort of that next stage of life where you start building, you know, your, your, uh, spousal partnership, whatever your relationship and, and your family, you know? And, and so I really wanted to d- dig into what that meant for these characters. So that, that's kind of where, that's the inspiration for the story. I like that a lot. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I moved here from Texas about six years ago. I was 23 and like, um, I like everything that you're saying, especially now about we all the know creativity. How old and like, Tyler I, is. I'm old, and um, <laughs> <laughs> a lady never tells. All right. <laughs> oh man, no, I'm just kidding. Um, and so, um, no, like, and this is absolutely amazing. And so, uh, how much of this? I mean, I guess when you were when you were writing it, or um, do you kind of did you keep it all to heart and kind of used everything for yourself, or was it kind of harder to like you know it's a lot easier to give people advice. Uh, you know, and then take your own. Uh, so how was it for you? <laughs> I, guess, I guess for your move. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, a lot of it was me figuring it out. I mean, you're right. There's like so so much advice people can give you. Um, but then there's you experiencing it yourself. Um, like so me and my fiance, you know, moving up here uh, to Portland and, um, and and kind of like exploring and, and, and doing that like a lot of those. Uh, a lot of those conversations, especially early on in the in the story between Charlie and Rita, um, uh, you know, is just like real conversations or, or echoes of real conversations that we would have, you know, um, not not in all the little facts and bits and pieces, but just in the tone of it, you know, in the way you react to a new place and everything like that. So there was that. And then and then there's stuff that I literally took from other people. So. Charlie and Rita, they are a couple who met on – and this is kind of backstory. It's not totally in the in the book itself, but you can kind of get, get to Insider it. Insider secrets um, here, everybody. Ooh, get excited. Yeah. Well, I mean you, you might have picked up that they both came from different places. Rita's from yes. Southern California um, and is Latina, and Charlie is actually Canadian. She's uh, yeah. a Cambodian-Canadian. Oh, um, okay. And – 
And that's less relevant because because we kind of like Rita is very much about place and about family and about culture. And so that bursts through in every scene she has. But Charlie's a little more like uh, introverted and closed off. And so her background doesn't filter in as much. But I actually took that idea because when we were up here in Oregon at a food cart in Portland, um, we started talking to this woman and she was talking about her partner, her wife, that uh, she met online and her her partner was from Bakersfield, I think, or somewhere in Southern California. Um, and she had been uh, working on an oil rig like off the coast of uh, Canada somewhere or something, something somewhere north, far north. And uh, uh, and we and I thought that was so interesting that they decided that they would pick Portland as a place to live together. And so that was at the same time that Paul and I were trying to figure out, like, who these characters were. And I sort of just slid that in as an inspiration. And it sort of clicked that, you know, they they would come together that way. And so, you know, some of it is me having conversations with myself, me having conversations with my fiance, me looking at other people around us and taking conversations of how they chose a place and how they moved there and, you know, how they thrived or don't thrive in a, in a new environment. And so it was just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's stealing from your own life, from everybody else's life as best you can and <laughs> figuring out how you feel about it. You know, so it, you said about, you know, keeping it close to the heart. Yeah. I mean, I think everything I write, even if it's an exploration, it's something that I look back and go, that's what this symbolizes to me. That's why I wrote this, you know, and, and that's something that you sometimes realize while you're writing it. And sometimes you don't see it till after. You know, yeah, absolutely. so so in some cases in a comic book like this, it's not till Amanda draws it and you look at it and go, oh, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would say. Exactly. That's awesome. Um, what, what do you each love most about this comic? It seems like there was so much you, you each put so much heart into it there. The storytelling is so strong. The art is so beautiful. What is your kind of favorite thing about it? For me, it was really getting to grow as an artist and uh, each page was a new challenge. Mm. It was something I had really had to push myself to, you know, work with weird perspectives, really detailed backgrounds, making up complete fantastical backgrounds when yeah. we're in the fantasy world of Vlad, um, trying to make uh, Portland when we're in Portland feel real. Um, it was, uh, it was really just a huge learning experience, and I really liked our main characters of Charlie and Rita, and getting to play with them um, was really fun, and getting to design the goblins, I think, was one of my favorite things to design. Oh, I love the goblins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they were fun. I love, too, there, there's this one moment where they're, Charlie and Rita are talking, and they kind of get kind of chibi form for a minute, and I was, like, <laughs> delighted. It was so cute and like so perfect for the moment. And like that was, I think, one of the only times that it happened. But it was just like it was perfect. And I think you have such a fun style that it totally comes through. Thank you. Yeah, I thought that uh, that moment wasn't all because I was too lazy to draw them. Uh, <laughs> not at all. But it, it worked <laughs> so well, though. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I love collaborating. And so for me to get to work with Paul, who's, you know, one of my best friends and uh, and Amanda as, as sort of a new artist who just sort of inspires me, you know, I think that that really is, is one of my favorite parts about making this. Um, I mean, from the writing side, I love that we got to include a lot of our influences in there. I mean, Amanda can talk about the goblins and where she pulled those from. But I mean, Simon Kent as this pulp writer um, yeah. with all of his problems um and and his pain um it was really fascinating to me to dive into that world and to write some kind of hacky pro pulp purple prose you know um but also really understand um him and i think uh kind of being able to play with that voice that sort of uh, uh rich pulpy uh uh novelistic voice and then mix it with charlie and Reed who tend to exist more in almost like a slice of life cartoonists world, you know, like there's not, there's no monologue for them. They yeah. speak just with thought bubbles and, and their, and their, and their actions and their faces. Whereas Kent is alone a lot and he's this you know, angry old life. man. Yeah. And he gets, and he gets these, this novel written, you know, he gets these captions and yeah. we, that was a choice we made early on. And when that's, when that clicked into place, it really worked for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that's one of my favorite things is getting to play with those different influences and, and, and mesh them together. I love that. And I love too, because like when you're talking, I'm thinking, like it felt so natural reading it. But now I'm looking back and being like, my sheep are gone. I'm looking out the window narrating my own life. <laughs> like it is very intense in a way that you just kind of take for granted and are like, oh, yeah, this guy's, you know, he's doing his thing. But 
Um, yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And um, earlier you mentioned about influences, which was leading me to what I was going to ask you guys next. I would like to know who, you, who your literary and or artistic influences are. And I have a feeling I know who one of them is, but go ahead first. <laughs> <laughs> Guess the influence. Let's see. Um, for Well, for the art style, I know my style in general really pulls from a lot of the animation I grew up with, Disney cartoons, Don Bluth. And then uh, comics wise, I read mostly a lot of manga. So I think a lot of the expressions people who've like told me that they've read the book, they've definitely noticed like some references from manga, the kind of anime extreme expressions. What's your favorite uh, manga? Then when developing, uh, again, like the world of a lad, I try to find... First, I looked at the uh, kind of pulpy sci-fi world of the 30s, which would have been from when Kent was writing and what David and Paul had brought right. to my attention. And since, you know, Alad is, you know, kind of something he's had some influence in. And so it's going to be pulling from what would have influenced him. So I tried to look at the sci-fi, um, a little bit of fantasy world that would have existed back then in his fiction. But then I also wanted to pull in um, ideas uh, from less, uh, I think we talked about it not being uh, like a high fantasy world, like maybe mm. uh, Tolkien, mm. Lord of the Rings. So I try to look at more fairy tales. Uh, so I looked at Arthur Rackham, who is one of my favorite oh. illustrators. Yeah. Uh, like his brushwork is amazing. And I really like the way he designs his creatures, his goblins. Um, they're very expressive. So that's kind of where I pulled for um, from the goblins a little bit from there. Um, I can't remember his name. But the illustrator who did the concept art for, again, the goblins in Labyrinth for Jim Henson, his work oh, is amazing, yeah. too. <laughs> so all these, like, I kind of mixed them up and I wanted to, you know, put my own, you know, spin on it. And we got the margins out of it. That's awesome. <laughs> What's your favorite manga? Sorry? What's your favorite manga? What's your favorite? Like, oh, manga. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I... I know I've got a couple. I really enjoy Dragon Ball. Um, yes. I know, I know that's the weebiest answer to give, <laughs> but nah, especially as I've, as I've gotten older and I'm like bringing back all my books from back home out to Los Angeles and just looking back at Toriyama's, you know, his, his drawings, his, his composition, his, awesome, his like... humor, it's all, it's beautiful. Just his um, draftsmanship too is amazing. The way he draws vehicles is yes. insanely good. <laughs> And um, but then I also really love the really simple, like so deceivingly simple brushstrokes uh, from Rumiko Takahashi from my one half. It just looks like she's just one stroke and done. And it, that's yeah. really <laughs> I think that's what every artist strives for. Just like one stroke and done with a figure. <laughs> so yeah. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous manga. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, um, not manga, but something that I started reading kind of at the early stages of starting the comic for the first time was Black Sad. Okay. And uh, that is, uh, I can't remember the author's name, but he actually worked at Disney, I believe, as an animator, storyboard artist. And you can see that in his work. Like each oh, cool. panel is a little, looks like a screenshot from a film. It's like a noir uh, mystery. It has anthropomorphic animals. It's mm. absolutely gorgeous. I recommend checking that out for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure on my side you guys can figure out some of the influences you said. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. I, I mean, yeah. I think Paul and I both have. You know, it, it's sort of a weird love hate relationship with characters like H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I was gonna you say know, it. You took it. I was gonna ask. It was Lovecraft, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 It it is. And it really more than that. It, it's sort of Lovecraft and how Robert E. Howard. And it's mm. really more the the. It's really more the writing of the era, but you yeah. know, I think yeah. Paul and I both have an appreciation for Lovecraft, but also have problems with Lovecraft, the person, uh, the racism inherent in that. And so oh, it, yeah. it was really interesting to sort of bring that in. I mean, I personally am very fascinated by um, like, like more modern literary tales that evoke stuff um, from that time period. Um, so, so an example going in, this is not pulpy so much, but um, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael oh, Chabon. Yeah is a great literary story, but it almost has this sort of, you know, it is about, you know, young creators of comic books, but it has the power of, of, of the purity of that comic book love in it. And so I love when that comes through, comes through on the page. Um, I had recently read 
probably even as I was scripting this, read one uh, called The Night Ocean, which is by an author named Paul Lafarge, who is uh, who's taking like um, this idea of uh, an unreliable narrator who's narrating about, you know, realizing that that H.P. Lovecraft had a gay lover or, <laughs> you know, possibly. And then and then it's it's this whole research story where he goes after this trying to find it. But it but the truth becomes story and story becomes truth. And you're mm. never sure what's what. And it's really fascinating. And I think that was a way that um, that we that, that that we feel comfortable, like you know, talk to, to, taking on that love of that that's of where these writers came from, and, and that sort of that big prose and those big worlds. But then really trying to humanize it and say, you know, this is in our case, we made it very specific to Simon Kent, which was, you know, th- this is a guy who sealed himself off from the world. Um, for a very for you know because he was in a lot of pain and he has a reason for that and but it, it and so you can kind of understand him while seeing that he does reprehensible things and has a lot of issues I mean we Paul very specifically wanted to make sure that he comes across as racist in here yeah. um, you know and, and it was kind of a thing where um, and I hope I'm not you know I don't I don't want to get political here or anything but we yeah. were finishing this script you know. Shortly after the uh, 2016 election, and you know, Paul's uh, uh, Paul's uh, uh, how do I put this? His his um, respect for Kent or his tolerance for Kent really diminished at that point, and <laughs> to the point where I actually kind of fought back, saying like, no, I want to give him a little bit of redemption, or I want to I want to understand him as a person. Yeah. I don't want to just write him off. And so we actually wrestled with it in ourselves, in our personal lives, with <laughs> how to depict villains in fiction and how yeah. how much you. Yeah. Appreciate how much you can relate to them and how much you villainize them, you know. And so, it, it, again, as we're writing, this is all this stuff is coming up, and we're 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 getting into it that way. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you can see everything in the writing. It comes from like looking at old Buck Rogers and and Flash Gordon mm-hmm. comic strips uh, to to the Lovecraftian stuff to more the Rita and Charlie thing. To me, is much more of a Jaime Hernandez. Yes. Or, yes. Um, oh yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You guys got okay. Good. Good. Because because yep. that was something where even when we started scripting it, I almost wanted some of the pages to feel like little vignettes on their own like you turn the page and you get the next scene but yeah. that whole page is almost like its own comic strip and that was me thinking about adrian tomine it was me mm-hmm. thinking about uh charles burns uh there's a lot of the, the more horror aspect as it creeps in that i was thinking a lot about charles burns and books mm-hmm. like black hole um and then um i would even say on the manga tip um junji ito i think is mm-hmm. the name yeah. Uh, spiral and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that sort of horror was a big reference for Paul. And um, um, and for me, still a lot of like my references, um, not like 90s uh, comics uh, that were a real touchstone for me, like Sh- uh, Shade the Changing Man by Peter Milligan and Chris yes. uh, Bacello and also like uh, Neil Gaiman Sandman. Mm-hmm. I think that DNA is woven into this, especially when you're telling a story about telling stories yeah. there's oh, no yeah. way that you can't <laughs> have a, a neil gaiman influence at this point so no. yeah <laughs> well yeah and i think f- for me i talk about this a lot on this podcast but I, comics are about storytelling and they're about what we can get out of them yeah and and really how you can grow and learn and see yourself in characters and um, understand the world maybe a little better and other people and w- what were your goals in creating the margins and and what do you hope people get out of it um, I mean, I, I can say from my end that, you know, the more personal goals was kind of what we already talked about, which was like kind of trying to understand myself a bit, you know, trying to understand and, and, and figure out what I'm going through. And I think the larger picture is I feel like as a comics um, guy uh, watching the industry and also as a guy in his 40s who is white male, uh, <laughs> you know, like I, I understand the gatekeepers I, I kind of have this weird uh, – while I don't agree with them, I understand them. Like I know them. And so going back to the Kent thing, uh, you know, it was kind of weird. But I also have very, a great very many friends that um, want diversity in their comics, that want new voices, that want new stories told, new voices seen, faces heard, voices heard, faces seen, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's very important to me. Um, it, you know, I write from a lot of personal experience in that, you know, my fiance is, is Latina. And so Rita and, and, and Rita's need to, to have her identity in Portland is, is such a big deal in the book because it's a big deal to me and to her. Um, and so I guess for me, what do I want people to get out of it? I guess just, I, I, I really don't want to tell anyone what to get out of it. I just want to tell you what, what, what I put into it, you know, is, is that I, is that I, um, 
you know, I wanted to explore that. I wanted to explore the things that were important to me. And I wanted to show these different sides of how creativity can be both harmful and helpful. You know, how, how it, we can use this to isolate ourselves and seal ourselves off and uh, create safe spaces. But that also closes us off from stuff. And and so, I mean, that's my, you know, my message in it, uh, uh, I guess. And, and I guess that's what I would want people to get from it. I agree with all that. I think also um, <laughs> one of the themes that maybe I didn't pick up as much when we first got the script or maybe just developed as we kept making the book was that of gatekeeping, um, which we've kind of talked about, but I don't think we you know, just said gatekeeping it in the interview. But uh, because Kent is doing that, it's he's um, it's his world. He's claiming it's his fiction and he doesn't want Charlie, who is a young queer woman of color to have her hands on it and to bring her own ideas to it. And I think, you know, the story really resonates with, um, you know, kind of where we are uh, culturally, uh, especially in the industry of comics, where we are wanting, I think most of us want more diverse voices in the industry and kind of in any industry. And so I think it's uh, a bit of a reflection of what's going on. And I, I was happy to be part of that where we, uh, we have two heroines who are girlfriends and they're women of color and, you know, they get to have their voices heard over that of someone who has his voice heard the most. He has his own issues, but he has to understand that he can't, you know, hoard fiction. He can't hoard everything from from people. It's going to he's going to lose control and it's rather it's better to you know, open your ideas to other people and not, you know, keep them all locked away. It's better to uh, uh, work with people like, you know, we did on this project, we exchange ideas. Mm -hmm. And I hope, you know, maybe people get that out of it too. I hope people just have fun with it also. (laughs) If they don't take a deep dive out of it, that's totally fine. If they just enjoy it, I think that's awesome too. (laughs) Yeah, and I think there's just such a powerful message too about like choosing real life and choosing reality mm-hmm. too because I think more and more as we are looking at our phones and we're we're doing kind of everything we can other than talk to each other, I think sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and I think this has a wonderful message there as well about just really, you know, you have a life and you have friends and you have family and you have, um, you know, maybe a partner and, and really focusing on them. And yeah, spend your time in your imagination, spend your time doing other things, but also remember those people and, and be in the moment. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And there you go. That's what we wanted people to get out of it. That's it. <laughs> you just nailed it. <laughs> I think Paul agrees with us too. Yeah. He, he would. He would. All right. I guess it's time for our one question. We always ask one <laughs> negative question on every single interview, uh, just for fun. It's an opportunity for humor. Yeah, it's for an opportunity growth. for yeah, and it keeps things rounded. <laughs> it keeps rounded. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the question is, what is the worst review that you've ever gotten on anything? I guess on a project. Yeah. Oh gosh! It doesn't have to be on this. It can be anything. It could be funny. It can be like, man, yeah. that one person. <laughs> My mom was really um, hard on me that one week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't have a lot of, you know, it's weird. It's, it's especially with comics, like, uh, you know, it's so hard getting it out there. And so far, the reviews for the margins have been pretty phenomenal. Because it's amazing. Um, uh, like, surprisingly. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I just said because it's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, no, it's because so, it's my mom and dad writing most of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, Barb, uh, Fanbase Press has been very good about sending it out to people to get reviews, mm-hmm. and they've been really great reviews. Well, and shout um, out I to think... Barbara Dillon real quick. Oh, she yeah. is the best. I love her. She's so kind. She's so great to work yeah. with. We're huge Fanbase fans now, um, and it's such a pleasure uh, to, to get to interview you guys and, and read more from Fanbase. I'm so oh, yeah. impressed with everything we've seen it's so our, far. And it's our third fan base book. Yeah. And y- I've, been, y'all are killing I've been talking it. up Barbara and Bryant Dillon for a long time. Um, I wanted to work with them for a long time. We've been friends for a while. And, and it's because of that. Um, yeah. It's exactly what you said. I mean, they are the kindest, most ethical, uh, uh, most supportive people in comics that I've ever met. And so early on, I'm like, you know, with comics, who you work with really is important. It's yeah. such a small industry and who you choose to work with, you know, it's, it shouldn't just be about, you know, what, what gets me the greatest exposure. It's like, who are yeah. the kind of people that I want to work with and who represents the same values that I have in, in what I want to see in comics work. And that goes, I mean, that is fan base press to a T. I mean, I yeah. think their Kinsey book totally is phenomenal. Agree. And I think, you know, everything that they've done and what they 
stand for and yeah. how they represent themselves. If you've met them, you know, like yep. they are oh, yeah. super oh, nice yeah. and that's genuine. Like, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I was joking the other in another interview that um, the biggest disagreement that Barbara and I had over uh, the margins was uh, was the use of like half a dozen commas as we were proofing <laughs> it, like, running through the final thing. We, we were like, that's the worst it got. It was like, well, I think this shouldn't have a comma. Well, I think it needs to have a comma. All right. OK, fine. We'll do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Rock, <laughs> paper, scissors on the Oxford comma on three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Slammy, it was slamming doors really on fun. each other and everything. Yeah. I would never win. Yeah. An, I would never win an argument with with Barbara. She's just so nice and sweet, and just you like just you know what? Up. I just I give up on everything. Have <laughs> like, whatever commas you want. When when she holds when she holds her ground, you 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 know something's wrong. You know, <laughs> you're like whoa, you're like, okay. <laughs> like desperate, like okay, what can I do to change this? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so your worst review was so, not from Barbara. <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like I got away from your question, though, and I do want to come back to it and say that I think that for me, the, 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 so the, my biggest exposure was that um, in 2016, I was in the DC Comics Talent Development Workshop. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so with that, I was in the 2017 New Talent Showcase uh, with a 10-page Dr. Fate story. And Which that was, was kind amazing. of my biggest, biggest exposure. So that's when people that, you know, the publisher isn't sending it out to are actually like reading it and, and doing a, a review, like a capsule review of all the stories in there. And uh, mo- again, I would say more of them than not were pretty positive, but there was a few where it, it was like, it was like, it wasn't really a criticism of the story. It was more like, I don't either, I don't like this kind of story. I did a Dr. <laughs> Fate story and it was about the cost of, of using uh, magic. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so somebody's either, I don't like this kind of story or this is too reminiscent of something else or whatever. And, oh. and, you know, it's, it, it wasn't like, you know, oh, the dialogue sucked or whatever. It was just sort of like, this isn't my kind of thing. And, and, and that's sort of a confounding review. And, and I, but, it, but at the same time, it's, it's the most acceptable one. <laughs> because it's like, okay, <laughs> not so not constructive. you're not the audience, but, you know, the other guy over here maybe is, you know. And so um, that, and then I think the only other reviews that, you know, were funny that to me that are, are, when I was doing this Wormwood drama is that we had a bunch of actors in there. And we, you know, we did this back in 2007. And we didn't really know what we were doing with all the audio equipment. I mean, uh, podcasts, especially like audio drama podcasts, are so much more polished now. We were essentially the garage band version of a podcast, right? Uh, you know, um, we, we were, you know, gritty and, and didn't know how to use the equipment and, you know, we're making mistakes. And so we took all these like sort of technical uh, uh, dings in our reviews for that because it'd be like, oh, this is horrible and the levels are all off and this and that. And we're like, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can. We're trying but- here. You know, you know, it, it was either that or they said so they just didn't like certain actors and did others, which is always weird because one person will love this over the top actor. And then the next person will be like, ah, he's too over the top for me. I don't like it. So <laughs> it's so hard to know when, when you when yeah. you're facing that. And so ultimately, you kind of have to, you know, review for yourself and make sure you're doing right. a story that you really want to do and that you're executing it in a way you really want to execute. And, you know, look at the criticism, but, yeah. you know, stay true to your heart, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful message. And I think that that's why we ask this question to you, because yeah. sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's constructive, but something like that, like to understand that everybody gets bad reviews and sometimes yeah. you just can't make everybody happy. So you just have to move on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Man, did you have one? Yeah, I mean, th- there will be little things that I'll see where I'll be like, okay, okay that's a valid point. Yeah. You know, maybe I could have done that differently. There's definitely always things like that where you you can go after yourself. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you have to say, you know, on the whole, I, I set out to tell the story I want to do, and I would not change this. Maybe I'd change this line, or maybe yeah. I'd change that. Exactly. Yeah. Overall, I told the story I wanted to tell. But you're not going to, like, I not tell a way. Dr. Fate story because some guy yeah. doesn't like Dr. Fate. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so absolutely, and and uh, uh, you know, and seeing Amanda bring it to life just you know totally quashes half the negative reviews anyway. It's like <laughs> no, no, but look how awesome it looks, you know. <laughs> yeah, there it's you okay go. if you don't it's like true. the writing because look at how awesome that looks. And I found her, everybody, and I made. <laughs> <laughs> so you can all blame David. He did That's it. That's right. <laughs> I make it all about me, Amanda. No, I mean, I, I just think she was so great to work with, and 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 that's so much. You know, in a comic, so much of it is yeah. that visual aspect that like. You know, who can look at that and not think that that's phenomenal art? So there you I go. Can. I'm very critical. <laughs> How about you, Amanda? Are going to be from me. <laughs> now you, Amanda. Uh, so the margins is my first published work, and I, like David said, so far, you know, at least anything that I've seen, you know, Barbara's sent our way has been very positive, which has, you know, made me feel so happy. I love it. All our hard work, mine, David and Paul's, just seeing it pay off has been great. 
because um, anything else I've done um, in my studio work with animation really has been something where either I've had a, my name attached to it or has been like really something that's been reviewed. So if I go back to say, uh, you know, art school, there was this one class I had and we had to make like an art book that not like a sketchbook, but just, you know, a book that looks aesthetically pleasing. I don't even yeah. know what the, uh, the prompt was, but it came my time for a review and just the harshest critique I got was from the professor. And this was my second uh, year in um, college in art school. And she said that it looked like something that an eighth grader would have made. Oh, oh yeah. That was really hard. I'm just like, well, you know what? I don't like this anyways. Like I'm a gonna very go talented draw. eighth grader or like. I don't think so. <laughs> wow. Like an eighth was... grader who was like ready to go into the professional world is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, eighth grader, but not one that oh, was pursuing this as a career. That is so rough, but like... you know what? You showed that professor, so ha ha. That's right. I... <laughs> this is why I don't do anything um, with my with my hands. I don't make anything uh, any models or anything. It's all drawing. It's all paper and computers for me now. Nice. Never again. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's awesome. Now, um, now in your case, um, for both of you, this is a valid question for you both, but, um, what do you guys do about writers or artist block? I know everybody has it. How do you guys deal with it? When the imaginary world isn't just right there waiting. <laughs> or maybe when things get too real. <laughs> right. Uh, you want to you want to tackle that one, Amanda? Sure. Yes, I definitely encounter artist block a bunch. Uh, one of the things, you know, sometimes I don't have the luxury of kind of fighting it because you know I am in the animation studio every day, so I have to be pumping something out. So, kind of being in a situation where you have to work sometimes helps, just to make you like, even if it's not doing something that you enjoy doing art wise it still makes your brain kind of work and i think that can help um kind of warm you up to then say like maybe i'll get home and maybe then i'll feel like you know sketching out something for myself it kind of you know loosens me up um or like you know how david and i met was because you know i was working that freelance job i was not feeling it so i wasn't doing any personal stuff and then i started listening to Wormwood and that was just like, oh, here's something that I really enjoy and I'd like to make something um, for it to make myself feel happy. So sometimes, you know, listening to something, listening to audio, podcast, book, music, TV show, and then drawing some fan art for it can kind of help get you out of that groove. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get the uh, looking at other stuff or just kind of taking your mind off of it for a bit. Um, it, it, it's different in different parts of the process for me when I'm when I guess when I'm initially coming up with a story, there's a lot of sort of casting around and there I can't always sit in front of the computer and just type. I have to sort of have a, like this this knot, you know, that I want to unravel There's something going on there and I haven't quite figured it out. But one of my favorite things to do in those times is to just watch other stuff. Because you'll find yourself like taking little pieces of a puzzle and sort of snapping them into place and seeing what fits. And then, you know, you could be watching the news one day or you could be reading a novel and you could be like, oh, you know what? What if I pulled from this and, and this just this idea that I ran across or this little 30 second news story or whatever will, will hit me in such a way that I'll be like, what if that happened to the character? And that'll that'll send me running off in a different direction, um, yeah, especially like what you were saying about the uh, 2016 election. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it does make me wonder if we'd started the book at that point and weren't finishing it. I, I wonder what uh, uh, if it would have been an entirely different mm. story. I don't know. Oh. Uh, but but yeah. So when it comes down to writing, um, I do a lot of I walk away from the computer a lot. I, I'm a person who likes to change my location. So mm. as a writer, I will. I live in a very walkable neighborhood. I'll walk from home to a cafe, possibly to another cafe, possibly back to home. <laughs> and oftentimes I'll do that each time I get stuck and the walk will jar something loose, you know, or else I do what everybody does. You know, it's like you wash the dishes, you uh, sweep the floor or whatever, things that you do <laughs> while you're processing what's going on in the back of your mind. But then you, you sit back down and in front and do it. I think for me, one of the hardest things with this one was that we did stop it at about, I want to say like 80, almost 90 pages in. Um, and because Amanda was 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 further behind. I mean, obviously, you guys know it takes a lot longer for the artist to draw. So Paul and I had this extra time 
And in the meantime was when I had started the uh, DC workshop. And so I had 13 weeks of learning about writing superheroes comics with Scott Snyder and a bunch of other, uh, you know, good friends, uh, people that became good friends of mine, these other workshop uh, classmates, uh, very talented writers in their own right. And um, so I came back and we had like to write the last act essentially. And it was really hard to get back into that. I think partially because I had gone away from it for a bit and partially because, you know, I had this huge download of information in my brain that I was still working through of 13 weeks of like doing superhero DC superhero comics, you know, with Scott and, 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 and trying to understand all that and wrap my head around it. And it was really hard. It was, I was getting in my own way, you know, like, is this epic enough, you know, and forgetting <laughs> that, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to finish this story. Um, so that's and, why Charlie uh, randomly has a cape and starts flying toward the end of yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> Took a turn so, there. You know, but yeah, it, 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 yeah. it helped to, this is the other part that, that's great is co-writing or collaborating. Mm. Seeing Amanda's pages come in can, can really get me back in the groove. Um, yeah. if I'm not sure about something, I have Paul to kind of talk to and say, I'm not sure if I'm feeling this part and maybe he is feeling that part. You know, it's like being permanently part of an improv group where they're always feeding you lines and all you have to do is react to them. Right. Uh, especially once you're rolling, it's not the initial idea on the page. It's like, Hey, look, we've got the story in progress. I'm not sure how the scene plays out. What do I do here? And, you know, Paul might say, uh, you know, maybe the goblins are attacking the taco truck or whatever it is. Right. And, and then and then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And that and that sort of opens it up for you. So you have the external voice. You're not sitting there alone. You actually have someone you can go to or we can go back to Amanda's artwork and be like, you know what? These two goblins are really funny. We got to do more with them, you know, or whatever <laughs> it is. We, we can just sort of find ways to to play and build off of each other. And so that stays, uh, you know, keeps the writer's block away from you a lot of the time, you know? So that's, why I always love collaborating. I've had a lot of co-writers and artists that I collaborate with in comics and other media and, you know, or actors and film, you know, and it just, it, I don't know, it's something I've always really been drawn to. And it's a unique, um, I think a lot of people struggle with it sometimes, but it's something that, that I really thrive on. That's wonderful. And what, this is something that I, I'm wondering a lot too, is so we have the Bardens, it's this beautiful standalone comic is there a possibility that you guys might come back to it at any point? <laughs> is there more story there? Are you, are you done? Is this it? Um, well, so at San Diego, I pitched to uh, uh, Amanda what I was thinking as a potential sequel. Ooh. It wasn't, it didn't come out until, you know, after this book was done and I had some time to think about it, but I had, uh, I had, I'd been thinking about it and I had written one other piece and I don't know if you guys saw this, but, um, uh, when when you pre-ordered the graphic novel, there was also a short prose story that I wrote that went along with it. And it, it is also set in the world of Elad and Earth, but it's completely different characters. It's essentially uh, – I describe it as the Goonies meets um, – uh, what did I describe it as? The Goonies meets uh, uh, D, the D&D &D cartoon, cartoon from the 80s. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Me <laughs> nice. Meets Platoon. Um, yes, that because it is about it's about uh, you know a, a two brothers in the early 80s playing a D and D game and 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 discovering a connection to their father who had gone missing in Vietnam uh, uh, like 13 years before uh, or 12 years before something like that and 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 you know a lot is the connecting piece the the fictional yeah. world uh -huh. and so it's a totally different way of playing with yeah. the idea of fiction and reality but it's something that like came out the moment we finished the script for the margins, I was like, and I have this idea. And, and so I decided to write that out as a short story, a prose story. And Amanda did a great cover for it. Um, and I believe Fanbase press is going to make that available online if they haven't already, oh, where wonderful. you can buy it for a couple bucks. Um, and, and so like as a digital short story. So I'm actually very proud of that. But after that, yeah, we, we were like, we're kind of done with their story. Aren't we? Except aren't what if we? we're not, <laughs> you well, know, I think it opens up such a great, I mean, it's such a great place to play. You have all of Elad and you know, that's what, he called it i mean there's so much there there could be anything and everything and new characters and um yeah i think there's there's a lot there and i know i'd love to see more and yeah i'm glad to hear you say that yeah because it's something that we, we both appreciate we both appreciate that and we do feel like mm -hmm. we created a big world that we yeah. only just scratch the surface of yeah um, but but i think for us to all to do the sequel it's like it's got to be the right story yeah. and paul and amanda and i have to figure out that and i've got some ideas but it's not enough to say oh there's a sequel it's yeah. more like but there's some story happen. to tell <laughs> so everybody get excited in may <laughs> yeah 
haven't. <laughs> uh, and what what else should we be looking from uh, looking for from each of you in the near future? What are you guys working on right now? Uh, David and you you have some stuff coming out. Um, well, okay, so I'm working on the second volume of Lost Angels right now. That's a digital first series um, that I mentioned earlier, and so the first volume is available uh, in print or uh, on Comixology, and then the second volume right now is only available on Comixology. We're doing uh, me and Chris Anderson, my my co-creator uh, and illustrator. He is. We're doing um, eight 12-page short stories. Uh, each issue is 99 cents on Comixology, and it will. They're all sort of thematically interrelated and interconnected stories um, set around the high school that uh, the first uh, volume of Lost Angels is set in, which is which is an integrated high school for humans and angels. Um, That's sort of the high concept. and uh, uh, and that's sort of my again my ode to like Neil Gaiman Sandman the way he would do those short stories between the bigger arcs and they yeah. do the like, thematically yeah. related ones. <laughs> so so I'm I'm doing like different stories fo- following the different characters around the high school and so that's I think there's four of them out online now and we've got four more to go. We're we're, we're finishing up issue five right now. Um, and then on top of that, I can't really uh, talk about it yet. <laughs> I, it's not really been officially announced yet, but I, but soon. And follow me on Twitter or whatever, and we'll I'll announce it as soon as I can. But we've teased it already that I'm doing a comic with Paul um, mm. as my co-writer and uh, with an artist uh, named Priscilla Petrades. I think that's her name. And hopefully I didn't miss, mispronounce that, Priscilla. I'm sorry. She's a Brazilian <laughs> artist. She and her husband, Marco, who's the colorist, worked on this book with oh. us. And it is for a uh, Dreadnought video game, which is coming soon to the Steam platform. And oh, so we're very cool. cool. Okay. Yeah, we're doing a book. It's a one-shot story that is uh, a one-shot comic that is going to come out uh, uh, in – well, I can't really say anything about it yet, but it will come out soon, and, and we're working <laughs> on it with Dreadnought. And it's a fun – it's basically Paul and I getting to write a space opera, That's getting awesome. to write space pirates, um, and it's it's a blast. So it's, And so that should be out soon. And then after that, I, I can't really – say anything yet that we we've got stuff in the works but uh uh yeah nothing i can really announce yet but those are the immediate things wonderful yeah awesome and for me um nothing yeah uh solid coming up right now i've kind of been in uh, a little bit of recovery mode after wrapping up the book the past few months and uh just taking care of comic-con and everything so right now i'm just back to the grind at work but i'm we may i may have something down the line later on but can't talk about that just yet Sort of. There have been discussions. There have been yes. discussions. We're going to follow you guys <laughs> on social media and keep up with that. Well, thank yep. you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you, audience, yeah. for listening. You can check out our podcast on iTunes and all podcast apps. Uh, and please, please, please rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know how much you love the margins. Seriously, check it out if you haven't read it yet. It is incredible. Uh, And you can visit us on our website at thegrandgeekgathering.com for articles, videos, and more. You can stay updated on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we stream on Twitch. The intro is provided by Cranston, and you can buy the margins at order it at your local comic book shop. Go on fanbasepress.com. It's on Amazon. You guys, it's so easy to get this book. Go out. Get it immediately. Stop listening. Turn this off. Listen to it in in your car on the way. I don't know, but go pick up the margins. It's amazing. And come and join the gathering. Have a great week and G-G-G.